So I want to tell you a story about three adult siblings named uh, Carrie, Larry, and Terry. Kind of reminds you of an old Newhart show, right? Do you remember that show? My high name is named Larry, my brother Daryl, my other brother Daryl. Do you remember that? So this is a story about Carrie, Larry, and Terry. So one weekend, they all get together for Terry's birthday. Now Terry decided to invite them to attend church with her that morning and says it was her birthday. How could they say no, right? So the sermon that day, that Sunday morning, was on the art, the gift of repentance. Now, Carrie was the youngest of the three siblings, and she wasn't 100% sure what repentance was. But once the pastor started talking about confession and sin and stuff, she started to get the idea. Now, Carrie was the most fragile of the siblings. She'd always struggled with a little bit of low self-esteem. And when she was 17 years old, when she was 17 years old, she was raped which only intensified her feelings of shame and guilt in her life. And as the pastor speaks and gives his sermon, Carrie tends to pick up out certain phrases and scriptures that highlight her sinfulness. She hears or interprets the message to say that she is a bad person. So she walks out of that church feeling about two inches tall. It seems that God and the church have confirmed her worst fears. And she tells herself that she deserves to be unhappy, full of self-loathing, because God considers her one big disappointment. Now the middle child, Larry, is the boy of the family. He has a home church already, which he is part of. He hasn't gone in a few weeks, because he, he knows, though, it's, it's waiting for him when he, he returns. Larry became a Christian when he was a teenager. Now, his self-esteem is a little bit higher than his sister's, but his faith really hasn't impacted him for many, many years. He's not sure why. He finds himself in a little bit of a rut, not sure what to do to fix that. And as the service ends, Larry walks away feeling fine about the sermon, but not really affected much by the message. See, Larry thought he understood what the message was all about, about repentance and confession, and he did that when he became a Christian many, many years ago. He assumed that the message was only for people who didn't know Christ yet. Because if you're going to talk about confession and repentance, that's for people who don't know Christ. At least that's what he thought. Finally, we have the birthday girl, Terry. Terry had become a Christian about 10 years ago. She listened to the sermon and walked away, actually feeling that the message helped her quite a bit. Yeah, the sermon did make her feel bad to some degree what things that she'd done. She, she'd kind of lost some of her priorities. She'd gotten drifted away from God a little bit. But she walked out of that, that church to that day feeling pretty good. She had recommitted herself to the narrow path. She'd understood God's goodness in her life once again. So the story ends, three siblings attending the same service and hearing the same message, yet each one a different understanding and reaction in three different ways. So again, this is our third week of our series on the four waves of prayer. This is wave number three. Each week we've been talking about different aspects and methods of prayer that could revolutionize our lives, lives around us. Initially we talked about 
how we need to come to God in a, in a in desperation and almost feeling like that we are helpless before God. We are helpless, but we are not hopeless. And that's the key as a Christian to come to God helpless in your own power, but not hopeless in the sense that you you know that God has still great power. God wants to hear our laments, our crying out to him. Last week we talked about the art of listening to God, the voice of God, and that he calls us to listen to him with, in a sense, our souls. And that art of listening is, is something that most of us, most Christians struggle with. So today we have, to, we have the third wave, and this wave is the, is the gift of repentance. If the church has lost its ability to pray, which I mentioned I think it most churches in our nation have lost its ability, its desire to pray. We have certainly lost our ability to repent because we're confused about it. Protestants think, okay, maybe it's a Catholic thing. And of course, Catholics have their own struggles with it as well. I mean, when was the last time anyone ever felt convicted or convinced that they needed to feel bad? for their selfish and sinful ways. I'm not sure we know how to do that anymore. So I'm going to read the scripture for this this morning. It comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, 1 through 15. And I'm going to do something just a little bit different this morning. I'm going to read the message paraphrase. And because that's what it is, is a paraphrase, it's not a translation, which means it's a little bit more open and it's a Uh, using common everyday words and a little bit more imagery. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the actual NIV on the screen and I'm going to read the paraphrase so they're not going to match. So you can kind of, but you can, you want to know the true. So I'm going to read this in sections, but I'm going to be reading the paraphrase. One through eight, it says, Look, listen, God's arm is not amputated. He can still save. God's ears are not stopped up. He can still hear. There's nothing wrong with God. The wrong is in you. Your wrong-headed lives caused a split between you and God. Your sins got between you so that he doesn't hear. Your hands are drenched in blood, your fingers dripping with guilt, your lips smeared with lies, your tongues are swollen from muttering obscenities. No one speaks up for the right. No one deals fairly, they trust in illusion, they tell lies, they get pregnant with mischief and have sin babies. They hatch snake eggs and weave spider webs. Eat an egg and die, break an egg and get a snake. The spider webs are no good for shirts or shawls. No one can wear these weavings. They weave wickedness. They hatch violence. They compete in the race to do evil and run to be the first to murder. They plan and plot evil, think and breathe evil, and leave a trail of wrecked lives behind them. They know nothing about peace, less than nothing about justice. They make tortuously twisted roads. No peace for the wretch who walks down those roads. Okay, verses 9 through 11 says, Which means that we're far cry from fair dealing, and we're not even close to right living. We long for light but sink into darkness, long for bright, brightness but stumble through the night. Like the blind, we inch along a wall, grasping eyeless in the dark. We shuffle our way in broad daylight like the dead, but somehow walking. We're no better off than bears groaning and no worse off than doves moaning. 
We look for justice, not a sign of it. For salvation, not so much as a hint. And finally, the last three, four verses, 12 to 15, says, Our wrongdoings pile up before you, God. Our sins stand up and accuse us. Our wrongdoings stare us down. We know in detail what we've done. Mocking, denying God, not following our God, spreading false rumors, inciting sedation, pregnant with lies, muttering malice, justice is beaten back. Righteousness is banished to the sidelines. Truth staggers down the street. Honesty is nowhere to be found. Good is missing in action. And anyone renouncing evil is beaten and robbed. Now let me give you a little bit of background on Isaiah. This context of this passage. See, at this point in history, God's people had divided into two nations, two camps. The nation of Israel, the northern nation, and the nation of Judah, the southern nation. Now the northern nation at this point had already been taken over by a group called the Assyrians. And Judah was now all that remained of God's people. But they were not exactly a model nation. Rebellion, meaningless ritualism, idolatry, injustice, arrogance, drunken carousing became the normal normal pattern for their behavior. So what God was allowing to happen was he was allowing these foreign nations to come in and conquer them and take them over, because they were not serving him. They had to learn their lesson. Because God's people were no longer righteous or holy. They weren't different from anyone else. So Judah was about to be conquered by Babylon because of their callous and selfish ways. But in the midst of that, he sends Isaiah, prophet. And he extends a message through Isaiah. Though people's sin had forced a painful but temporary separation, God was still offering a new marriage marked by God's everlasting love and compassion. If they would adhere the message. So I guess the million-dollar question is, for us today is, does that message of Isaiah apply to us just like it did to the people back then? Now, we must be careful in some ways because it's pretty easy to take things out of context and put things, and a lot of authors are assuming it is the same. And in some ways, maybe it is. In some ways, maybe it isn't. But we do not live under the same covenant as people in the Old Testament did. Right? Some people, authors, writers, think it is exactly the same, that we are suffering, that God is punishing us our nation for our sins. And while I would not go that far, I would say that God allows us to reap what we sow. And I think that probably applies today just as much as it did back then. And our nation, our community, our world is all suffering the consequences of living a life of sin. Now before I move on, I'm going to preach a little longer today because I freed up the schedule a little bit to do that. This message is important for us, I believe, for our church. But I want to remind you that tomorrow night is an event I've been promoting the last two weeks. It's finally coming close. Tomorrow night, First Baptist Church, people from 
churches getting together to pray for our community. Just starting this movement, I hope. This is, you know, this is step one. So I, I would encourage you, if it's possible, to be there. Support that movement. So today I want to talk about repentance. I want to talk about confession. And to help us get refocused in a healthy way. See, when we read, some people fail to read Genesis 1 and 2, and they go right to Genesis 3. And they read about Adam and Eve's fall, right? And all what's wrong with humankind. But it's important before you read Genesis 3 to understand and ground yourself firmly in Genesis 1 and 2 that you are made in God's image and that you are made good. And somehow you cannot beat yourself up totally totally in this Genesis 3 camp unless you balance yourself with Genesis 1 and 2. We are still made in God's image no matter how broken we are. But we are broken. We are selfish. We are sinful. Now, if we are secure in Christ, we can learn to lament and cry out in our sinfulness and do it in a healthy way that doesn't totally destroy us and walk out of the church saying, I'm totally not worth anything. I'm just a piece of trash. That's not what God says about us. But if we know we are valuable to God and we know we are God's good creation, but we are just broken and sinful, we can repent. And we can get right with God again. But most of the time, we don't know what to do. We don't, we don't repent. We don't confess. So I want to lead you today in what I would call the prayer of tears. Now, first of all, the prayer of tears is, is mostly about having a contrite heart. It's not about water necessarily flowing from your eyes. I know some people's temperament. Some people cry at the drop of the hat. Other people, you know, it, it would take a miracle for them to cry. But I would also say this. Tears are often a sign that God has touched the center of your soul. So I would not be afraid of tears. Because we need to let our sinfulness be evident in our prayers. In our voice to the Lord. That's how we get back right with God. It's how we get back on the right track. If you wish to advance in your faith, it will do so because you have a contrite heart. And occasionally that might mean some watery eyes. See, like Isaiah, we weep not just for our own sin, but for the sins of our church and the sins of our community. We care enough to pray those prayers for our people. Who wants to go through life with dry eyes and a cold heart? You know, God's been helping me grow a little bit in this area of caring for our community. Because when I got here, all I did, I just cared about the church. I'm sorry, but I just cared about you guys and maybe a few people to come in to the church. 
And God's been working on me to say, you know, that's not, that's, that's a shallow calling. That's a shallow calling. Because I care about all those other people. See, repentance is a gift that we can, it will lead us back to joy if we, if we do it. But we have to go through the process, and sometimes that process is painful, and sometimes it has to be honest and real. Because we show a lack of faith in our daily lives. Don't you? Don't I do? Do you? We show a lack of faith in our daily lives. Do I act tomorrow, do I act every day like God is at my side? Are the words of my mouth evident that God is with me and that God is standing next to me? No, they are not always. And while we can't remake, make repentance happen, we can ask God to give it to us as a gift. So I'm asking you in your heart right now, that's your starting point. Right now, tell God, I would like the gift of repentance. I would like to be that so much part of my heart right now that confession would just want to jump out of my mouth. Don't you know how sinful you are? Paul said in Romans, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. Paul said that. The tax collector that Jesus used in the parable said, God be merciful to me a sinner. Those are what our prayers should be this morning. Oh Lord, wretched man that I am. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. To come to God echoing our sin, our crying out for mercy. We have no excuses. We have wandered from the path. How many sins of the mind and the heart have you committed in the last 24 hours, even? How often have you been selfish? How often have you been faithless in the last 24 hours? And then when those 24 hours become 48, and then pretty soon they, come, they become a week, and we just are happy or content or prideful or something, and we just allow ourselves to keep drifting never thinking that we need to repent and confess. And as somber of news as that is for you this morning, my friends, it's really good news. Because we can walk out of here today not having to earn our way back to Jesus by trying to measure up by doing better this week we come to the cross saying okay God I just thank you for the cross I don't have to measure up I don't have to be good enough 
But Lord, because of the cross, I want to live right. I want to get back on track, knowing that when I live in you, life is better. It's not necessarily easier, but it's better. I'm going to read a little bit of a liturgical prayer. From comes from the Book of Common Prayer. It says, Lord, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare us. O merciful Father, that we may have a godly, righteous, and sober life. Lord, we repent of our ways today. We have failed you. The church, the church has failed you. Pastors, staff, leaders have failed you. The churches in Olean have failed you. Our community has failed you, and now we suffer the consequences. And there are people whose lives are broken everywhere I look. I had a guy I was talking to on text, texting the other day who just told me he was going to meet me somewhere and, and then just blew me off. And I can either get mad at that guy or I can just say, that guy's just broken. That guy just needs Jesus as I do. Because in my own humanness, my tendency is to say, jerk, and walk away. Right? He's a jerk. Therefore, I'm the other way. I'm going away. Too bad that's not what Jesus would do. Right? I have to I have to forgive, I have to move on, I have to offer offer Christ. That's that's the life God calls me to, and even though it is hard, it is the better way to live. Well Lord, we bring this all to you today. We confess our sin. But we also serve a God who is faithful and just and wants to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So don't leave this morning like the one woman in the story, Carrie, who felt about two inches tall when she repented because that just told her that she was a worthwhile piece of junk. That's not what repentance is supposed to do. Repentance is supposed to be like, well, God, I'm a mess, and I know I'm a mess. But, Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he did for me. And, yes, let's go at this again. Let's, let's, I am going to be more faithful, and I am going to put all my coin in that basket. And I will live for him as much as I am possible. And if I fail again this next week, which I will, I will come back and I will do it again and be forgiven and renewed 
and restored. Confession, repentance is a gift. Turn from your sinful ways. Acknowledge your sin before the Lord and let Him forgive you and move you forward. But don't waste the gift. You are too precious in His, in his sight to stay where you are He wants you in a better place. Will you follow him? Will you surrender? Will you forgive yourself and God and others 